You're listening to the Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship Podcast from Summit 2019 with sessions from San Angelo State, New Mexico State, and Texas Tech University. We are so glad you're here, and we hope this message will encourage you and challenge you in your walk with the Lord. Welcome. We're so glad you guys are here this weekend. It's been incredible so far. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is James. Uh, I graduated from Sam Houston State University, uh, which is, in my time at Sam, I was involved in Chi Alpha. It's where the Lord used small group discipleship to change my heart, to change my life, to shape me into who I am today. When I graduated from Sam, uh, the Lord asked me to do this. He asked me to trust Him with my future. And so what that looked like for me was giving a year back to Him, doing the internship program with Chi Alpha, learning for a year what it looked like to be a missionary on a college campus. And after that year, I prayed and asked the Lord what He wanted me to do. Uh, and I've been in full-time ministry ever since. This past summer, my wife and I moved from Huntsville to San Angelo, Texas, uh, to be a part of a team led by the incredible, brilliant Christopher Scroggins, uh, to be able to be at Angelo State University. And that is the wonderful, incredible adventure that's been awesome so far that has led me to be with you guys today. So I'll tell you this, what we're going to do in our session today is give, I would call it a brief overview or a flyby of prayer. There is no possible way that I could uh, tell you all the information in the world that there is about prayer in 45 minutes. We could take 10 45-minute sessions and it would not even scratch the surface. I'll tell you this as well, that I am not an expert on prayer. I'm not standing in front of you uh, because I'm smarter or wiser than anybody else. Everything that I'm going to tell you today, I learned from uh, being in a relationship with wiser men and reading from wiser men than myself. The first thing I want to do, uh, I was a business major, so I like to keep things simple. I like to look at definitions of things. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the definition of prayer. My friend Dryden always told me this, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, it's great advice, hurts my feelings every time. But here's what we're going to do. The, the, the definition of prayer is super simple, and it's two parts. Prayer is this. It is an experience to be had with God, and it's a work to be done for God. An experience to be had with God, and a work to be done for God. So what we're going to do today is break down both parts of that definition by looking at some scriptural and historical examples of some people that have come before us who were great prayer warriors and intercessors as well as looking at some practical ways that we can learn to cultivate our prayer lives for ourselves. So let's do this. I think it would be absolutely absurd if we had a session on prayer and we didn't start by praying. So would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful that we get to be with you this weekend together, worshiping you, learning more about your heart and your character. Lord, we pray that uh, in this session that you would speak to us. Jesus, we pray the same thing the disciples did. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? We pray that you would speak through me. By the end of this session, we'll be closer to your heart. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's tackle that first part. Prayer as a, uh, an experience to be had with God. We see this. Uh, it's true in any relationship that if you do not spend time with the person that you have a relationship with, if you never talk to them, the relationship isn't going to go well. You can see I'm wearing a wedding ring. If I told you and showed you by wearing this ring that I love my wife, but I never spent any time with her, I never talked to her when she came home from work, I never asked her about her hopes and her dreams and her thoughts, I would, one, be a terrible husband, and our marriage would be 
doomed to fail. Now, this isn't something that's uh, that's new to any of you. You guys all knew that. That's pretty obvious, that if you're not going to spend time with each other, then your relationship is going to suffer. But we see this, that prayer is an essential part of our relationship with Jesus. It's just talking to Him. So if it's true, if we know that time spent together, time talking with another, uh, one another in a relationship is important, then how much time do we spend talking to Jesus? One of my favorite authors that Nick mentioned earlier, I can't believe that guy found one of his books for $2. That's literally my dream. His name is F.W. Borum. And he says it this way. He says, It is clear from all this that we can have as much of Jesus as we will. If he leaves us, it is because we are quite willing that he should go. On his side, there is always the willingness to stay and stay and stay. Having loved his own which are in the world, he loves them until the end. Ask him to abide, and his divine heart instantly and eagerly responds. Those who are without his presence are those who do not desire his presence. Those who are without his presence are those who do not desire his presence. We can always have him if we will. We see this, Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians. Paul says it this way, that we should pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now that phrase, pray without ceasing, sounds almost like it's impossible on this side of eternity. But we see this, what it looks like practically, is bringing Jesus into every aspect of your life. We do this thing where we often compartmentalize, right? I've got small group time, and I've got Chi Alpha night, but then I've got my work schedule, and I've got class time, and we start to compartmentalize, and we don't bring Jesus into all of it. Uh, but he wants to be a part of every part of your day. He cares about that test that you've got that you're worried about. He can help you study. He cares about the terrible day that you had at work. He wants to hear about it. He wants to be a part of everything that you'll let him be a part of. And by doing that, we can bring glory to him and be closer to him for it. We see that this means that uh, not only that we should be talking to him about what's going on in our lives, but even more importantly than that, we should be spending time getting to know Him. Often we hope that He would answer our prayers and that He'll respond, but we haven't sat down and asked Him to reveal His heart to us. What if we did that and just sat down and asked God to reveal His heart and His character? That's what happens when we spend time with Him. We get to tell Him what's going on in our lives, but more importantly, He'll reveal Himself to us. We'll get to know Him more. We see this as the best way to pray is to get alone. Should we be praying with groups of people in public or in public places? Yes. Should we be praying corporately in small group at Chi Alpha? Absolutely. But we know this, that sometimes we have the tendency to depend on, maybe it's your pastor, maybe it's your small group leader, your resource leader. We start to depend on them to bolster our strength in our own prayer lives, and that is not healthy. We see Jesus did this often. Jesus was with multitudes and crowds. He spent so much of his time with his disciples, but he would always make time to get alone and to be with the Father. If we look in Matthew chapter 14, it says this, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And again, in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We know that if Jesus is 
our perfect example and that he made time to spend uh, as much time alone with God the Father as he could, that it has to be important for our own lives. There's this word that we use to talk about extravagant time with Jesus, and it's called abiding, or the word abide. What this means uh, is, is so practical. We talk all the time about the three R's, real devotional life, real relationship, and real responsibility. And abiding with Jesus is such an integral part to that first of the three, a real devotional life. Time spent with him, time spent studying his words, time spent reading the words of wiser people that have come before us that can teach us how to be closer to the heart of God. And this looks uh, practically like this. This is true of every part of our lives. This phrase will ring true. You can remember it, write it down. You make time for what you care about. You make time for what you care about. That's true of everyone and anyone, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a, it's a, a brief, short exercise, okay? I'm going to give you guys like three minutes. And I want you to pull out, if you've got a, a pen and paper, a pencil and paper, or you can do it on your phone. And we're going to schedule an entire day and just look at what's going on. So we're going to do this coming Monday. So Monday, I want you to start at the beginning of your day. I'm taking, like, you get out of bed. How, how much time does it take you to brush your teeth, to get ready, to cook breakfast, to eat breakfast? Do you see where I'm headed with this? How much time do you have to spend in class that day? How many hours should we be studying after class, doing homework? Uh, maybe you've got a small group that night. Maybe you've got extracurricular stuff that you like to do or flag football, whatever it is. But we're going to sit down and we're going to schedule everything out so that we can see what our day looks like. Okay? So we'll give you three minutes and then we'll get back together. Okay, hopefully you've gotten at least pretty far scheduling your day. If you're like me, then what this exercise does is it allows us to realize all of the things that we've given our, ourselves to that we have to devote time to. Uh, this isn't something that you're going to do once and then you've, you've got it down because uh, our schedules change so often. Uh, I think what happens is often we get in routines uh, and we're so used to our daily schedule. And then if you're like me, you'll reach the end of the day and you'll stop and you'll be like, shoot, I didn't spend any time with Jesus today. And then you give them that leftover time where you're falling asleep and you're like, all right, I'm going to pray right now while I'm falling asleep. And it's like two or three minutes and then you're out. But we know this, that the Lord wants us to give him the best hours of our day, not just the leftovers. So how do we practically do that? If we do this exercise, we'll find that uh, we don't have as much time as we thought for free time or time we can, we can schedule to read and study, to pray. That means that we have to make time for what we care about. So it can look practically different for different people. A lot of times this means the best part of your day is probably in the morning when you wake up. Maybe you can make a sacrifice and wake up a little bit earlier than you want to, to sit and to abide and spend time with Jesus. Uh, I think so often we talk about uh, being, I'm, I'm so often afraid of empty times in my day where I feel uh, there's short times usually, right? So you get in your car, and what's the first thing I do when I get in my car is I turn the radio on to listen to music. But what if instead of listening to music, we just spent the time driving to campus or driving to work, talking to God about our day, allowing Him to reveal to us what He hopes happens in our day, how He could use us. We do this, uh, if you're like me, maybe you're in line in a public place and you've got a few minutes, what's the first thing you're going to do? If you're me, you pull out your phone, right? You're checking your text messages, you're checking Instagram, but what if... What if just for a moment, instead of doing that, we fight the urge, the instinct to reach for our pockets and we allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to what's going on around us 
maybe the Lord could use those two or three minutes to allow you to intercede for the people around you. Some of these are so simple, uh, but we often will do it once or twice and then we'll forget and it doesn't become a habit. We know that we have to fight to make time for these things because they're important. We see this, that prayer is transformational. Any time that we spend with Jesus will transform us and we'll start to look like him. As we pray, we start to desire what God desires, love what he loves, wish for what he wills. And that leads us to the second part of our definition. Prayer is a work to be done for God. I'll give you an example of this uh, from a story in my life. In 2014, I got the opportunity to go on a short-term trip to the country of Oman. Uh, it's in the Arab Gulf in the Middle East. And I can tell you in the summer when we were there, it is upwards of uh, 110, 120 degrees in the afternoon in the hottest part of the day. Uh, literally, like, people just shut stuff down and they're like, nope, let's just go inside and hang out. Uh, so we're there working with a missionary couple. The house, the apartment building we were staying in, uh, it was technically two stories, but they had these big vaulted ceilings. So in reality, it was like two and a half or three stories tall. And we were staying on the top floor. And one day we had left our apartment to go uh, to hang out with the missionaries. And we we're at lunch and we realized, shoot, we left our key. We've locked ourselves out of the apartment. Okay, so we go back to the apartment and we're trying everything we can think of. We're trying to get the doorknob to, uh, to loosen, trying the old credit card trick. Uh, trying everything we can and nothing's working. There's a guy that can come bring us a key, but it's going to be like over an hour. And we are literally baking in 120 degree heat in the middle of the day. So myself and one of my friends start to walk around the building. And we're like, there's got to be another way in. There's got to be, be a way we can get in. And we realized that the girls on our trip were staying in a room that had a sliding glass door, which led to a balcony up on the, the, the top and the highest floor. And we knew that that sliding glass door was unlocked. So we started to form a plan. You can see where this is going. In my time at Sam Houston, I uh, worked at the rock wall. I spent a lot of time climbing. So my brilliant mind thinks this is it. This is my moment. I'm going to climb this building. I'm gonna get in. I'm gonna be the hero and everything's gonna work out okay. What I failed to account for was this, that in order to get to the pipe that I was gonna climb that led to this balcony, I had to like side climb the bottom of the building a good distance to get to a ledge, to get to the pipe, to then climb the rest of the way to the balcony. So I do this, I'm side climbing, and now I'm on the pipe, I'm at two thirds of the way up, and it's at this point that my forearms are starting to give out, your hands are starting to get sweaty, I'm wearing Vans, so of course I've got no grip on my shoes, my feet are starting to slip, and it's in this moment that I hear at the base of the building, the missionary woman we were working with, out loud, praying for me, that the Lord would give me strength, that he would keep me safe and help me get to the top. But not only this, she's now gathered the entirety of our team. Uh, I started this, like, just me and this guy. We're like, we'll just do it real quick so nobody will watch. But she's got the whole team there, and she's encouraging them all to out loud pray that the Lord would help me make it to the top. And I can tell you this, that I did make it to the top, and we got in, uh, but I was thankful most on that day for a woman of God that not only knew how to intercede on my behalf, but knew how to teach others to do the same. We know this, that intercession is, is the word we use to talk about a work to be done for God. Once we've had experiences with Him through prayer, we are then drawn closer to Him. The closer we come to Him, the more we understand His heart, and are thus motivated by his love for his children to pray on their behalf. So intercession, put as simply as we can, is this. It's praying for other people. 
we know that this first assumes that we, we have an understanding of what we talked about at the beginning. If you do not have a prayer life of your own and experience with God, you will never be able to effectively pray for other people. The coolest thing to me about this is that means that we have the privilege of coming alongside Jesus and taking part in his work. It says this in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, we are co-laborers in Christ. We get to work with God to help determine the outcome of events. And that is absurd to me that he gives us that honor and that responsibility and that privilege. But it's so cool that he allows us to uh, to come into his picture, his vision, and his heart for his children, and we get to take part in it. Intercession can take many forms, but we know this, that it should always find its foundation in love. Whether we're praying for someone's salvation, healing or restoration, a renewed relationship with God, or maybe to, just that they would feel his presence and his love in a moment, we should always be headed back to our definition of love, to be unselfishly choosing for their highest good, and ultimately, the highest good of God and his kingdom. There's a man named Richard Foster who wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. And in it, he says, if we genuinely love people, we desire for them far more than is within our power to give. And that will cause us to pray. So if we believe that intercession is birthed by a love of people, and we know that God has called us to love those around us, that means the Lord is calling each one of us in this room to intercede for people in our lives and on our campus. Before we talk about specific ways we can learn to be intercessors, I think it's first wise if we look at some biblical and historical examples of intercessors that have come before us. If you've spent even a little bit of time with me, you've probably heard me talk about this man. He's one of my favorite people in history, and his name was John Hyde. You can kind of see his picture there. Uh... He lived, as you can tell from the picture, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and he was a missionary to India. John Hyde, or Praying Hyde, as they gave him a nickname, that's what they called him, his cry was this, Give me souls, O God, or I die. Give me souls, O God, or I die. When he got to India, it was said of him that he would spend entire nights, sleepless nights, praying for the people of India. And I'm not talking about, like, one night out of the week, his people that lived with him and knew him knew that this was every night, 365 days of the year. He would spend hours interceding on behalf of the lost people of India. The first thing he did when he got there is he formed a group of men and women that would get together every day and pray for lost souls. In 1908, the Lord gave him a vision. He told him this, I want you to every day to pray that one person would come to know me by the end of the day. And so he would pray this prayer throughout the day, and he would spend his day sharing the love and character of Jesus with those around him in his community. And by the end of the day, one person would have come to know him. The Lord was faithful to answer the prayer. Eventually, that wasn't enough for John Hyde, and he upped it to two people. So two people a day he would pray for, and, and every day he would spend his day sharing the love and character of Jesus, creating relationships, uh, this discipleship that we know so well in Chi Alpha. And every day, two people would come to know him. And by the end of his life, he had upped that to four. Four people every day, 365 days a year. And I can tell you that he was a missionary in India for over 20 years. So by the end of his life, the Lord answered his prayers. And the seeds that he had sown in prayer accounted for, to this day, through discipleship, millions of Indian souls coming to know Jesus. We know that he, this was a time sacrifice. He spent time praying every day. He made time for what he cared about. But we know that he also took a physical toll. 
when he left India at the end of his life, he came back to America. He was examined by doctors. Uh, he was sick. They didn't know what was wrong, so they did some tests. And they realized that his heart had physically, literally shifted in his chest cavity inches from where it was supposed to be because of the literal stress that the burden of staying up all night and as many hours of the day as he could praying for people had taken on his body. He was willing to sacrifice his literal body. He's willing to sacrifice his time to see the people of India come to know Jesus. We see this, that the Bible is full of examples of intercessory prayer. Abraham interceded on behalf of the righteous in the city of Sodom. Moses interceded for the Israelites on so many occasions. My favorite of which, if you've never heard the story, is this. Moses did exactly what we were talking about earlier, and he went to be alone with God up on a mountain. And he was gone for, I mean, kind of a long time, but not really that long. It was a few weeks, they say, that he was up there with God. And as he's gone, the Israelites freak out. They're like, listen, Moses is never coming back. We don't know what to do. And Aaron's like, I got it. Give me all your gold, and we're going to melt it, and we're going to make a golden calf, and we're going to worship that. Okay? And so Moses is up on the mountain with God, and God's like, listen, they're doing some ridiculous things. you got to get down there. And this is the story. God has literally just given him one of the most incredible miracles that's ever happened. He's manifest literal stones with, which, with a language that he can read, that Moses can read, and the people of Israel can understand. And it's got the Ten Commandments, God's rules for friendship written on it. And Moses is carrying these down the mountain with him, right? And he gets to the base of the mountain, to the camp where the Israelites are, and he realizes what's happened. And he sees how far they've gone and strayed from God. And he's so upset that he literally takes these physical miracles and breaks them. Can you imagine how mad you have to be to take something God has physically just given you and smash it? Okay? And he gets to the camp and he's like, Aaron, you're supposed to be my right-hand guy. What the heck is going on? And Aaron says this. We know literally like three or four verses before, it says in the Bible, Aaron took the gold and he sculpted it and he created this calf, right? Fast forward, Moses is like, what happened? And Aaron's like, listen. We took all the gold, we put it in the fire, and this calf popped out. That's all we know. That's all we know. And Moses had every right to be upset with the person that was supposed to be in charge while he was gone is made of an egregious mistake. But instead of letting God uh, loose his wrath on the Israelites, Moses intercedes on their behalf. He says, Lord, forgive them, forgive them, and allow me to teach them how to walk with you. And that's just one example of all of the times that Moses interceded for, for their behalf. Samuel is another example. Samuel is one of my favorite people in the Bible. If you don't know who Samuel was, uh, we fast forward from Moses and the Israelites several hundred years. And Samuel was a prophet that the Lord had put in place as a mediator between himself and the people of Israel. At the time, there was no king. Uh, it was a theocracy. God was in charge. And he would tell Samuel what he wanted the people of Israel to do. And Samuel would tell the people. But what happens is this, the people of Israel uh, in their infinite wisdom decide they, they want a king. They've looked around at the surrounding nations, the Amalekites uh, and people like that, and they're like, listen, it's going pretty well for them. I think that we should elect for ourselves a king. And Samuel doesn't just take it, uh, he doesn't just follow the crowd and do what they want. He goes and asks the Lord first. He's like, Lord, we know this is a bad idea, but like, what do you, what do you want me to do? And he says, elect for them a king and you're going to anoint him. And we know, uh, I'll give you a spoiler alert, that this king did not uh, turn out to be the greatest. His name was Saul. But we see this, uh, if we look in 1 Samuel chapter 12, uh, hopefully, maybe the people in the front can see it, but I'll read it for us. 
what's happening is Samuel is saying goodbye. Uh, and Samuel has served the people of Israel faithfully for his entire life, for years and years. He's prayed for them. He's taught them how to walk with Jesus. And they've just told him they don't want anything to do with him. They're like, forget you. We want a king. and We want to do it our way. And he has every right to be upset. But this is what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 12. He says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. We know this, that after this happens, he doesn't disappear. He doesn't say, okay, forget you guys. He stays on the scene. He helps to guide and to, and to intercede for and to pray for the king and the people of Israel for the rest of his life. We know that we love to read uh, godly men and women that have come before us. People like C.S. Lewis, Andrew Murray, R.A. Torrey, Catherine Marshall, uh, Mary Gotro. We love to read these people. And all of these authors have either written an entire book or series of books on prayer, or they've at least incorporated it into the books that they have written. And there's a reason for that. It's because they're, they understand its importance. So we know that those people, the people that we love that are wiser than we are, all understood the importance of prayer. And they're brilliant examples of people that have not only written about it, but that have lived it. Isaiah 53 shows us uh, a foretelling of the greatest intercessor of all time, Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, it says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The greatest act of intercession in the history of humanity was took place on the cross. But we know that Jesus didn't stop interceding for us after the cross. In Romans 8, verse 34, it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Again, in Hebrews 7, verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I can't think of anything more encouraging than to know that Jesus is literally at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. That's how much he cares about you, and he loves you and values you. So we know that now that we've looked at examples of people that have come before us that understood how to live a life of intercession, I think we have to ask, have we incorporated this into our own lives? Have we drawn close enough to God that his love for his children has motivated us to pray? Do we believe that, like I think most of us do, that the Lord has called each of us to share his love and his character on our campus, yet we haven't spent any time praying for it? If that's as convicting for you as it is for me, then the question that we should ask next is where do we start? I think the best place to start when we want to learn to intercede is to first learn to be grateful for the people that have interceded for us. I can tell you if you are sitting in a chair in this room right now, somebody has prayed for you or is currently praying for you. Maybe you're like me and you've got a, a godly grandmother that's been praying that you would find Christian community in college. Maybe it's your parents, or your small group leader, your resource leader, your pastor who's been praying for your campus for years. I can tell you Mary and Eli Gocho have been praying for you longer than you've literally been alive. So if you're sitting here today, you have something to be grateful for. 
One of my, uh, another favorite author of mine, his name is R.A. Tori. Now, R.A. Tori, I think we got a picture of him. He also lived a similar time period uh, to our friend Prang Hyde in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And R.A. Tori is what I would like to call a genius. R.A. Tori enrolled at the University of Yale at the ripe age of 15. At 15, he got to Yale. At 19, he graduated with his first degree and began his second degree in the School of Yale Divinity. It's said that he studied the Bible every day in four different languages. That's how smart this man was. And he has this book. This is actually a combo of two books called How to Pray and then another book called How to Study the Bible. So in his book, How to Pray, he tells a story of realizing that there have been people interceding for him all along. It's a little bit long. It'll be on the screen, and I'll, I'll try and follow. Uh, I'll try and read slowly so you can hear. He says this, There are few converted in this world unless in connection with someone's prayers. I formerly thought that no human being had anything to do with my own conversion, for I was not converted in a church or a Sunday school or in personal conversation with anyone. I was awakened in the middle of the night and converted. As far as I can remember, I had not the slightest thought of being converted or of anything of that character when I went to bed and fell asleep. But I was awakened in the middle of the night and converted, probably inside five minutes. A few minutes before, I was about as near eternal perdition as one gets. I had one foot over the brink and was trying to get the other one over. Listen to this. He says, I thought, I say I thought no human being had anything to do with it, but I had forgotten my mother's prayers. And I afterward learned that one of my college classmates at Yale... <laughs> had chosen me as one to pray for until I was saved. Prayer often avails where everything else fails. How utterly all of Monica's efforts and entreaties failed with her son, but her prayers prevailed with God, and the dissolute youth became St. Augustine, the mighty man of God. By prayer, the bitterest enemies of the gospel have become its most valiant defenders. The greatest scoundrels, the truest sons of God, and the vilest women, the purest saints. Oh, the power of prayer to reach down, 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 where hope itself seems vain, and lift men and women up, 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 into fellowship with and likeness to God. It is simply wonderful how little we appreciate this marvelous weapon. So we see here that we all have something to be thankful for and grateful for. Uh, we see this, the intercession goes hand in hand with discipleship. They both should be transgenerational. In other words, your small group leader is praying for you. Hope, the hope is that one day the Lord would teach you how to pray for others as well. We, we know that Paul talked about this so often. He made it a point to pray for all of the churches that he helped to found. You, you can see it in all of his letters in the New Testament. He always mentions his prayers for them. We know that Paul interceded for the man that he discipled, who his name was Timothy. He also taught him how to intercede as well. This is written all over uh, the book of 1 Timothy. It's Paul oft, often mentions so many times, he reminds Timothy always to pray. We know it's unclear who Paul would have named as his mentor. We don't exactly know who discipled him, but I can tell you that we do know who interceded on his behalf before he became a believer. And we find this story in Acts chapter 7. You've probably heard it before. It's the story of the first martyr, Stephen. Now, Stephen was one of the first, uh, the first believers in the early church, and he was doing things that at the time the Jewish high council considered radical and heretical. And they brought him before the high council in this trial, and he, if you read in the beginning of Acts 7, he gives a brilliant defense of the gospel. 
but the the Jewish people who are blinded uh, by their tradition and uh, don't understand what he's really done. They don't see his relationship with Jesus. And so they sentence him to be stoned. And we pick that up here in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 58. It says, Then they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And we know Saul would later change his name to become Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We see here that Stephen is literally being stoned to death. And he has such a powerful and such an intimate relationship with Jesus that he was led to pray for the people that were killing him. We know this, that Paul would go on to be one of the greatest missionaries of all time. He penned most of the New Testament. And we see that the prayers of a dying Stephen had such an incredible impact on his life. Stephen helped work with Jesus to help determine the outcome of events in Paul's life. We know that there's no possible way that Paul would ever forget having witnessed Stephen being uh, martyred. There's no way you forget that. And I can guarantee you he carried that uh, and was grateful for the, the prayers of Stephen for the rest of his life. I think if we don't yet feel a burden to pray for others, the brilliant thing is that we can ask for one. In James 4, verse 8, it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So let's ask the Lord who we should be praying for. The Lord has made each and every one of us responsible to someone in our lives. Once we sit down and ask the Lord who it is we should be praying for, then we just need to start praying. We don't have to start extravagantly. We can start small. Prayer is like uh, any muscle. It has to be stretched and grown to be uh, strengthened. We can work at it a little bit at a time. And here's some practicals when we start to learn to intercede. One of the easiest things that I've done is to start to make prayer lists. Maybe it's on your phone so you always have it with you or on a piece of paper uh, in your Bible at home. But if you could literally just sit down and do what we've talked about and ask the Lord, who should I be responsible to pray for? Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's uh, your small group, people in your class, people you work with. The Lord will lead us all to pray for specific people in our lives. But it's so easy if we have these lists, then there becomes no excuse. Uh, there's, there's no time constraint to sit down and think of it. Every day we can pray and pour over this list uh, and intercede for the people that we love. Another thing that uh, I started to do when I was a freshman, I lived in a dorm on one side of the campus, and my small group leader lived on the opposite side of campus. And at night after small group, I would walk back, and it's when, then that the Lord taught me how to prayer walk. To, to get uh, go alone or go with your small group or your resource group, but walk on campus. Usually it's easiest at nighttime when there's no one there. Go building to building. Pray for the professors. Pray for the students. Pray for the president of your university. That the Lord would direct the, uh, the way that the university is heading as a whole. Pray for the janitors, the people that work there. There's so many opportunities for, to intercede on behalf of your university that the Lord has placed you at in a specific time for a specific reason. Another incredible thing uh, that the Lord has taught me recently is this. Maybe you'll be in public and you'll be in line at the grocery store or walking through the aisles uh, in public. And instead of uh, being wrapped, so often we're wrapped up in what we've got to do, what's going on in our day, uh, worrying about the future, that we forget to open our eyes to see who's around us. 
So maybe the Holy Spirit, if you'll allow him, could open your eyes and show you some needs of people that you can pray for that you maybe would never meet, but you could pray for them as you walk past them in the grocery store. Maybe the Lord would give you a word. Maybe he'd lead you to pray for them and ask them if it's okay. I've seen, I've been with groups of people and we've literally seen people healed in the middle of a Walmart. We've seen incredible things happen if we'll step out and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and we'll be obedient. I think uh, a simple, simple, easy, practical that we can do is this, is set alarms on our phone to remind us to pray throughout the day. I started doing this and at first I had alarms that were set um, just generically throughout the day to remind me to stop and to pray for a moment. I'm not saying that every time the alarm goes off, you've got to like run and find a literal closet and, and create a space to pray. But maybe just stop wherever you are and take a few minutes and allow the Lord to speak to you, to share his heart with you. I started with generic alarms and then the Lord led me to do this, to start putting specific people's names with those alarms. So maybe an alarm would go off that would remind me to pray for my wife, who's taking care of uh, teaching 23rd graders all day. Maybe it's the guys in my small group or my resource group or, or members of my family that I want to come to know Jesus. It's so simple and so short and small, but it's such an easy reminder for us to always be doing what Paul said, praying without ceasing, bringing Jesus into every aspect of our lives. So here's what we're going to do. We've got like four or five minutes left. What I want you to do is grab the people you came with. Maybe it's your small group or your resource group uh, or someone from your Chi Alpha. And what you're going to do is each person in the group is going to come up with one thing that they want to be prayed for for this coming week. And every person is going to have something. And everybody in the group is now going to be responsible this week, every day, for interceding on their behalf. I can tell you that often we do this and people will be like, nah, dude, I don't need any prayer. But I can tell you if somebody says they don't need prayer, they either weren't paying attention, don't understand its significance, or they're being prideful and you can help them with that. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray with each other now, spend a few minutes talking about it, praying together, uh, and then I will come and close us in a few minutes. Thanks for listening to this Chi Alpha podcast from Summit 2019. Be sure to check out the rest of the sessions, and we'll see you next year. Chi Alpha, baby.